Welcome to the No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shanon, Mr. Rob, and Ken. Today we have very special guests in the house. We have the Untouchable DJs. Um, I'm going to allow you brothers to introduce yourself, but first I want to start off by saying thank you. Um, I appreciate your contribution to our first project, the Curation. Um, I appreciate the conversation, Peasy, we had when you was giving us, like, dropping little nuggets and jewels and the knowledge on us. Um, executive, executive decision is now in stores. I'm going to let you brothers introduce yourself, and then we'll get into the conversation. Yo, DJ Mr. Effects, you know, the touchable DJs, you know. What's going on? It's your boy, Baby Paul, AKB PZ, representing Untouchable DJs with my boy, DJ Mr. Fex. Queen's representation all motherfucking day. Queen's. Queen's. Bronx, Bronx, yo, Bronx and Queen's is forever linked. Bronx and Queen's <laughs> forever linked. And whatever way you imagine. Um, That's true. Yo, so we got, a, we got a lot of shit to cover in this interview. Um, yeah. Not just, not just talking about executive decision, but even behind the scenes just now, he's having like a really dope hip-hop conversation so i want to pick you brothers brains and talk about hip-hop talk about the business element talk about your mixtape talk about all things hip-hop um so i was thinking the best way to probably start the off is to um you know in the spirit of in the spirit of mixtapes tell me about the first time you realized the witness you realize the witness the impact that a mixtape actually has you know it could be the first mixtape you heard it could be the 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 first mixtape that really stuck with you but when was the first time that you actually heard a mixtape and was like yo this is this is it and what mixtape was that good effects go ahead man <laughs> all right well for me um earlier in my career shout to clue and duro you know duro is a well-known engineer slash producer who's part of that's storm he was dj clue's partner so earlier in, in Clue's mixtape career, he actually had leaks of some of my records on his tapes in the street. Wow. Records I produced for like Helter Skelter and Duck Down Records. And the reason for this is because Duro was my engineer Ooh. and Clue's <laughs> partner. So I had to put two and two together when I'm hearing my records on the street. And I'm like, yo, how did he get this record? And I'm like, oh shit. Duro's my engineer. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now it makes and sense. Factor can attest to the fact that DJs competed in those times, in the early times of the mixtape era. Like, we're talking like mid 90s, going into the 2000s, and trying to be the leaders of the exclusives, the first one to get their hands on music, fresh out the studio. Mm. So, I, I can say, for me, <laughs> excuse me, y'all, still. Still recovering from being a little sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the impact of mixtapes was dope because it allowed me to see firsthand the reaction of my records when these DJs got their hands on it. For example, uh, rest in peace, DJ K Slade. He was the first DJ to play Destroy and Rebuild from mm-hmm. Nas' album after I did it in the studio. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I, I saw the impact of that record. So for me, I like the fact that mixtapes are still the to the street. Mm. Right, right, right. Nice. I was wise. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm going to tell you like this. And I'm mm. glad I'm right here. This is the ADAP right here. So, mm. so my experience on what I would like, the impact of it, you got to understand. So, shout out to Cutmaster C, shout out to um, DJ Clue, DJ Envy. Um, 
clean shit. Grandmaster Vic. Grandmaster Vic. So basically, I used to do a lot of uh, distro. Oh, I can't forget DJ Dirty Harry. That is my, that is, that is my guy right there. So mm-hmm. basically, the first time that I saw the whole impact is when Dirty Harry and Carmaster C, when I linked them two together, they did a double, they did a double cassette. And um, one side, one cassette, yeah, one cassette was Dirty Happy, and the other one was Count Master C. Mm. So when we went to collect, now the crazy part about it is when I start seeing people copy whips, copied Benzes the same year, that's when I was like, <laughs> okay, starting. And then when he mentioned um, K Slay, R.I.P. K Slay, it was like my introduction to K Slay was a little bit different than anybody else because, you know, when we used to get our um, CDs duplicated, you know, depending on which bellow, everybody had Duke machines. Mm. The copy, K Slade was one of those people. So, you know, he could print you up a thousand CDs and he would make you a box. A lot of people didn't know that. And mm. he also, <laughs> he also copied a lot of people's CDs. And he was, if you wasn't there, he was yeah. getting, he, he was doing his one too. So, <laughs> it so happened that me, Dirty Harry's brother, <laughs> we was at a famous spot in the Bronx on Forum. Okay. Music Factory. It um it was like a it was it was an electronic store. Probably um, yeah. Music Factory at B Street was up there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I B Street. Yeah. That was, that, yeah. So it was kind of crazy. So in the back, he had boxes and boxes of CDs and things like that. So the first thing he said to us. I ain't know Queens niggas come uptown and things like that. So it was kind of slick. <laughs> it was kind of it was, it was, it was kind of slickery. <laughs> so it, it, it was a little intense the first time we met. Now I'm just gonna put it like that. All love is big shout out to K Slay. Yeah, that's Yes, sir, man. I, yeah. I still love what he's doing for the culture. People still. <laughs> Oh, reveling over his uh his uh videos where he has like a thousand MCs on it. He's yeah. yeah. got another video, I think, for another one of his records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yo, I yeah. thought I thought Joe was gonna go even further back because even I remember like being young and hearing like my first Kid Capri mixtape or being up. like OJ Man. and looking Man. and being like, "Yo, what Man. is that?" Long okay, G. I got a good story for that one too. This is that um he. Kid Capri used to DJ at the um, world famous SNS club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, that's where like a lot of your know, OG gangsters and all, you know, all, 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 all everybody was in there. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, and, and me, I'm younger than them, so shit, I wasn't even, I wasn't supposed to be, you know, knowing about that. So. It was one of those things where, you know, just being in the mix and Kick and Pre did it for me. Him and him and uh, um like the energy of it. Like he actually brought 
what he was doing there and transpired it on tape. Right. Okay. Yeah, so. Kid, 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 kid. And my first, my, my kid story was that my first take was an R&B joint. It wasn't even no hip hop. <laughs> the, the way the way he controlled the turntables and played the music, it made you go look through your mom's face like, man, she got that. I need to play that right. <laughs> but kid, kid along with Star Child, Brucey B, those were the first takes. Star Child. Yeah, I remember Star Child coming to Queens at the world famous um, Encore. Mm. Um, this is a, a club in Queens, across the street from the bus terminal. And this is a library. And this is where video um, Uncle Ralph, you know, used to be a DJ. Before right, right. He did video music box. Right. So he used to actually play there. So mm. Grandmaster Vic, Star Child, they used to always, you know, Get busy when he used to come to Queens, and, and he used to also come to come to Jamaica roller skating ring. A lot mm. of people don't know about that. Jamaica Avenue had a roller skating ring on Garbrewer and Jamaica Avenue. It used to be New York Avenue, New York right. Boulevard, right, 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 right there on the corner. And around the corner was Margarita Pizza. Yeah, bro. Yo, please, how I'm landmarks. <laughs> <laughs> How many, how many joints on this project were you were you affiliated with? Did you do a lot? Of, I mean, I see the, I know the ones you did. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, I did more than six records on there. Um, I produced some of the new artists as well as all of the veteran artists here on there. Like, I did a remix for a project I'm actually doing with Royal Flush, please. Not just shot the Royal Flush, get well soon. Get well soon, Royal Flush. You know what I'm saying? Um, we're doing a remix project of songs from his first album, Ghetto Millionaire. So, me and Effects decided to leak one of those songs. It was a song called What a Shame featuring Nori. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and then um, I produced a song with an artist that I think y'all have interviewed before, Dre Banks out of Michigan featuring yeah. AZ. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of new artists, you know, Sally Big, who I think y'all know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I featured him on the mixtape and I produced right. the record Cakewalk. As well as um, wow, uh, a couple of songs by artists named Nova Rebel out of Cleveland, Ohio. Yappers Side, Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmonies, independent label mm. coming out of Ohio. And I did a couple of records. One of them is a song that Effects pulled out to create called The Makers that I did years ago. It just yeah, yeah. I, like, I like that record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Dover telling my, my career story in third person mm -hmm. around 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I actually had a question about that. Um, yeah. That record. I'm, I'm going to ask you that about that a little bit later. Yeah, Ken. So when you when you go into making the process or something, like, you, you've been producing this thing. Hey, what's your first love? Is it producing or DJing? And effects, I know you said you do the DJing, which you, you on the radio personality. Or yeah. you, are you outside? What's what's your favorite? What are you guys' favorite things to do about this movie? Okay, I love producing first, but I love the art of DJing because I started out with the B minus into the DJing and I put it on a hiatus to focus on my producing career. And salute to effects. He, he was the one who told me, you know what? I see you DJ, you need to start DJing more. A couple years ago, he, he put it in my head a couple times to really get back to DJing. And I felt like 
uh, me doing that, it actually trained my ear all over again. Nice. You know, like being able to dig in the crates, listen to breakbeats, listen to music of all uh, genres. And then of course, when Serato Stems was, was lost, it was like, oh my God, it's a rap. It just, it just gave me a, a whole new ear to listen to records I already had or knew and find new ways to like um, create create music ideas off of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I did a remix for Only Love of one of her records that I produced. And I, I took a Super Cat record and I broke it down through the steps and actually recreated the beat. You know what I mean? Off of the classic reggae joint, Ghetto Red Hot. So let me um, ask you, Pete, I don't mean cat. to cut you off. I don't mean to cut you off. So the Serato actually strips the entire sound each <laughs> <laughs> instrument as a stem? Correct. <clears throat> now, mind you, Serato Stems was not the first software to be able to have that ability. It just wasn't popularized in comparison to now that um, Serato part of Pioneer and they created the Stems feature for DJs to access it through Serato, you know, which is a software that most DJs use, a digital software that DJs use to play music. So now it separates it in four ways. Vocals, right. music, right. bass lines, and drums. Okay. So uh, the, the quality, it depends on how well the recording you're actually using um, is, and then it'll play a part in how well the stems separation will sound. Right, right, right. Music to vocals, to drums, to bass. But uh, I found that a lot of vintage records that I, I, I wasn't able to tap into before because of ideas I had, and it might have had certain instruments on top of it or mm -hmm. vocals on top of it that didn't have a separation and where I didn't use it, I can go back to now. Anything from James Brown records to R&B records. Just about to ask you that. Like, you go back yeah. To yeah. Yeah. And trust me, I'm sure I'm not the only producer doing it. I'm sure what there's a lot of producers who who have trained ears that are aware of STEMS software and are going back to the records that they have in their crates and, and approaching it in a new way, you know? Mm. Shout out to Buckwild, Law Finesse, a bunch of people that's you know, out doing their thing. So. I'm going to mm. tell you right now, shout out to my, my guy, um, my guy, um, Jesse West. Yep. Um, Jesse West? Um, I got a Jesse West story. Yeah, I, got, so, I, I, I don't mean to digress, but I got a Jesse West story. I remember... <laughs> In the summertime, I went to a camp in Utica. I was living in Utica. They asked us to put our names. We black kids. We ain't putting our real names. <laughs> I was such a, such a Jesse West fan. That's exactly what I wrote on the <laughs> <laughs> it's, Yo, it's funny, though. So, Jesse West, West was the first uh, uh, producer with the name West. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and speaking of mixtape, it was a kick and pre mixtape that he used to rock all the Jet Jesse West had so much stuff, bro. Yeah. So yeah. Well, the third eye or oh, the third was it third eye and all that. Third eye, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So give so so reason why I brought his name up because when he was mentioning the stamps, the software, he was one of the first ones that started doing um recreations of certain of, of certain songs. And the likes of Kid Capri, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Law Finesse, like the major elites would get these, would get these edits, would get these super edits. Shout out to DJ um Ed Swift and things like that. So basically mm -hmm. what they was doing, they was doing, they was getting broken down 
versions of certain songs like that. Any any record. So so what Wes started doing, he started making curated produced joints where he would take out certain certain parts of the um of the song, mm -hmm. but then he would do his own little flips in it too. So mm -hmm. only certain DJs used to have them. So just to give you a little thing on why the stems became so important. So I guess yeah. when 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 Serato saw that they was like, yo, because they was actually late for the party for like a good seven or eight years. Bro, I had a yeah. cheesecake tape but just he was. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and it had yeah. eight, it had eight yeah. I think one song I remember was Renegade, I think. Mm. How, how did how did um how did mixtapes go about evolving? from a hindrance to artists to becoming an asset for artists. And I say that because I think about back in the days, I remember hearing the stories about like, I think um, Naughty by Nature or Onyx running down on SNS or something <laughs> like that for, for leaking and playing all the records. But it seemed like after a while, it kind of became a thing to like leak your record to get the buzz around it. And I think labels embraced it also, but what led to that transformation to go from, yo, we wanna, you know, we wanna, destroy the dude who put out the new record to now we want to get our record to the dude who puts out the records. That's kind of a That's a good question. You want to ask those facts? The Africans. Don't worry, right? Because I'm going to tell you like this, right? So the Africans was the first wave of getting your music head heard from here to there. First it was the Chinese, but when the Africans took took it over, took that whole process over, because when the Chinese had it, they was just straight bootlegging. <laughs> right. right? Where they so, got it from. So <laughs> it continued with bootlegging because, you know, everybody heard the infamous story of, of um, the African that lead ready to die and puffy was chasing them and things like that <laughs> listen, listen the, the the african that chased him he married an asian girl and he was in harlem <laughs> <laughs> so that story was kind of like watered down a little bit because everybody went to that african to get your cd pressed up mm. In fact, I I even introduced him to to be PZ. I was just like, yeah, this is the one that that you know. But anyway, so it's the fact that the networking community, where it's like your CDs could be heard from head and head, mm. and you could, and you could also make money. Shout out to Mustafa. Mustafa was one of the one of your earliest um, contributors to the mixtape ever. He had a he had a CD spot on Jamaica Avenue, but he also had a spot in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Harlem. And money. Yeah, so after he collected his money, then he moved down to Miami, mm. Georgia. So he was also kind of like on the low, kind of responsible for DJ Drama and that network and building up that. So I feel like um, the artist-driven mixtapes was, in my opinion, revolutionized by 50 Cent. I agree. Where 50 Cent is the future took off to the point where 
he was getting courted by record labels to get signed and all that. And his, it was like an album, you know, because remember, Power of a Dollar was the album of Columbia when after his, 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 you know, he got shot and he was mm-hmm. recovering and, you know, like laying low. He had that, he had songs for Power of a Dollar on that 50 Cent is a Future along with new stuff. Mm-hmm. And Wankster took off before he got picked up. Yeah. And on that, on that 50 Cent is a Future. And I feel like, 50 honestly to me spearheaded the artist driven mixtapes yeah well he kind of cheated the game because that one he was talking about 50 cent is the future that was actually on last week yeah so So it was released like an album but it was independent yeah so what he so what he was doing this is is no different from what we're doing you know fast forward and now with you know executive decision Mm -hmm. like that um yeah but let me ask all right, so let me ask you this, Paul, as a producer. Um, have you ever encountered this situation? Because I did hear like a lot of this was going on. So let's say, you know, an artist is putting together their project and they have songs that they're not gonna use for their project, and then those songs magically appear in a mixtape that they use for promotional purposes, and then they're reluctant to pay the producer or the producer doesn't get the full amount as a result of it as it of it not actually being released on the project. Like, how do you handle that as a producer? Yeah, it's tricky because uh, I have to, like, if it's a situation where I did the record before the decision was made to be released on a mixtape mm-hmm. and it was intended to be distributed on a major and I, I, I worked out negotiations to to share the composition rights, the credits, and be paid in advance, mm-hmm. when they switch gears and treat it as a promotional tool, it could benefit me in the fact that people are hearing and seeing it and getting the credit for it, but I'm losing money. So yeah, you're right. <clears throat> you know, I feel like it's a catch twenty two. You got to get in where you fit in. You know, uh, what I like about <clears throat> the project we're doing now, we're actually controlling the narrative. We own the masters, <laughs> and it's all original music that we're putting in DSP so we can monetize the release. Mm-hmm. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Going back to what I liked about artist driven mixtapes, I feel like Fabulous is another example. Mm. Of amazing mixtape albums like his soul tape series and yeah. his time shootout series better than his actual the best bodies of work he put <laughs> out his entire career i agree but because you know even the, even if they were somewhat marketed by def jam and treated as mixtape albums they were like artist albums and i guess he did it with the freedom of not worrying about sample clearances or anything because it was mm. like you know what Fuck it, I'm just gonna do me. I'm gonna put it out. And if it sticks, it sticks. I'll deal with it later. You know? Mm-hmm. See, I feel a little bit differently, a little bit, because like 50 Cent's the future. Who was the DJ that hosted that? Who kid, um, right? What that was who kid? No. Was it? He 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 started hosting. It, it, it's you didn't really hear I think Who Kid came after. Yeah. Oh, okay. That came after. Um not until when Who Kid started, when you saw the Who Kid mixtapes and things like that, and then it was like Who Kid and G Unit. But yeah. the artist-driven mixtape, they knew the pop, they knew the power of it, and they knew the popularity of it. So I never, I, I, I always hated those mixtapes because there was no DJ that actually hosted. Mm. There was no DJ that did transition to boom, from one song to the next. Mm. So I always had a problem with that. Mm. Um, 
even from from that point. So with BPs, it was like, you know, yo, we about to do this mixtape and, and things like that. And I'm like, bro, that's not a mixtape. This yo, you could tell you DJ to the core. He said transitions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not a mixtape. Yeah. yeah. You know who had a you know who had a really good artist driven um mixtape series too? Saigon. I feel like Saigon had some good stuff with K Slay. Uh, yeah, you see? Yeah. That see, once you know, like for instance, like the dipset, the dipset mixtape, right? By the way, you going you gonna say K Slay. Yeah. Saigon, K Slay, right? So those um those are mixtapes, like the Gangster Grills, you already know that's DJ. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Like that. But every, everybody else that came after, like um, Chance the Rapper, mm. who hosted that? I got what you're saying. <laughs> you, 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 you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So all this started, started doing little cheat codes and started saying, well, this is a mixtape because this is unreleased music or music that they're not using off of their album. Call it a mixtape. And that it out. Yeah. yeah. And it lowers, let's be honest, it lowers the expectation around the music too. I think one of the people that we forget and that maybe capitalized the most on this recently is Meek Mill. That Dream Chaser series. Dream yeah. Chasers. Yeah, that, yeah. that was drama, right? Wasn't yeah, that his, his, drama? Yeah. Yeah, his yeah. Biggest was drama. yeah, his biggest record came from those Dream Chasers. Yeah. yeah. Is your goal, is the two of y'all goal the same as I hate to say like K Slave, but y'all trying to host a series of mixtapes with people like, yeah, I'm going to get that executive decision on because they dropping them artists like that. And who, and who on this, uh, who on on this mixtape do you think you do you guys think stand out the most? <laughs> uh, Interestingly oh. enough, I, I, I was getting good feedback on uh, more of the unknown artist records, like even the R&B artist Michaela or her song "Simple." Simple, yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. Yo, I like this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off for a second, but I got, I got to, yeah, I got to say this. Yada hit me up early. He was like, "Yo, I listened to Executive Decision." He was like, "Yo, a lot of the people that's the unknowns are the ones that really stand out for me." The right. same thing you said is literally what, what he just said. Yeah. And then there's another song called Pray by Merck. Yeah. yeah. I got that on the that list. Record is fire. <laughs> that record is fire. You know? It sounds like you're reading off my list on this paper here. <laughs> it's so, crazy. Because I, I like that fact that we are curators of great, meaning that we allow the artists to be discovered because y'all listening to Executive Decision and and you discover these artists, you're gonna actually look out for their music when you hear mm -hmm. them about something different, right? Exactly. Whether we're involved or not. So right. if that becomes the case, our job is done in terms of the introduction. Right. Yeah. Now it's kind of hard for me because it took me back to actual mixtapes mode. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I used to drop a mixtape, I used to be like, "God, drop this on to the next." So I never really lived with um, a mixtape to tell you this song, this song, this song, this song. Mm. I'm already gearing up to the next one. Next, <laughs> for, for, for the next project. But I, I like Cakewalk. I like um yeah. I like the praise joint. I like Nova Nova the Rebel. Nova the Rebel. Yeah. Um another joint I like Dre Banks featuring this guy right <laughs> there. 
Yeah, yeah that was my that was my MC debut on the song No Love Lost. So yeah. Yeah. Yo. Um but yo, FX, just to go back to what you were saying, like from the mix the mixtape perspective of like yo, getting up for the next one, music is kind of like that now. Like music has become very disposable where people are off to the next one. Um right. really, really quick. Um, which makes me think about like the yo, the next question that I have, like, what are your thoughts on you hear a lot now where people talk about like um artists having all these mu- all this music like in their hard drive that never see the light of day. Like, um, like I think Cam was saying something about Joel's. He was like, yo, Joel's got like 300 records. I know they were saying something about Buster having a crazy hard drive mm-hmm. full of records. And I don't know if it's Nas has inspired people to start releasing and putting out these records as a result of Nas' work ethic now, but I'm hearing a lot of people like that were probably like our artists from the 90s now starting to come forward and release some of this music that they had stored. So what do you think about artists that have these hard drives full of records that never see the light of day. I'm trying to... Uh, you, want, you, want, you, want me, you want me to keep it real? You try <laughs> Please do. Uh, always. Want to keep it real. All right, so this is, this is exclusively on No Idea. Mm-hmm. Check this out. I'm trying to get a little... Uh, a young cat that... I'm trying to get one of that. <laughs> so we can go in... Because I, I used to have a... For... Uh, um... <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Pro Tools, Pro like Pro Tools. You had Pro Tools nine, yeah. Then back then, two thousand and nine. Oh, you shifted. You shifted. <laughs> I, I, was, I was getting it. All I had to do was just all we had to do was just things like that. Yeah, yeah. I used to listen. I used oh, to have to exclusive. yourself on on a. These are the exclusives we used to drop every week. Mm. Yeah. You be like, yo, the artist be like, yo, damn, like ain't nobody here that but me and my lady in the car. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah name is Mixed yeah. Series. I got yeah. those car drives. <laughs> so uh, I'm just I'm just trying to figure out like I'm you know, I got little intels on on on, on something. <laughs> yo, why why are people reluctant to put it out though? What do you you think that the critique or you know, like what, what what's what's the hesitance? Because I of the, think because of the state, of, just like produce, producers got a shitload of fucking music sitting around, yeah. just waiting for somebody to call it. And I think MCs and artists are like, I'm gonna do the same thing for you. Yeah, you gotta remember I, these I, artists. I, I, I have them. a catalog sitting now. That's how Flex <laughs> was able to get me on this tape. Like he mm. literally just pulled stuff out the stash for me. <laughs> you know, but um, oh, I got, I got, I got stuff from 2008. BPs don't even realize that. <laughs> I put that out now. It was still rock. I think with some of these artists, to get back to what your point is, a lot of these artists is used to doing first week maybe 350, right? Mm-hmm. Used to doing a uh, 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 a real good artist would do 475. So they used to those type of numbers. Yeah. They don't know how to like like I told I I told BP that I'm you know two change the album that he like I'm giving it like sixty thousand top minimum first week. That's it. Only that's thing that's saving. I, I would agree thing. with him only because the people's expectations of a two chains little Wayne project are not as high. Yeah. No matter how talented they are. Right. So even if I say I like the music, the fan base to go buy it 
and consume it on that level is not as high yeah. as you. Like, like, for example, regardless of what we think of Nikki's music, her rollout and her demand is way higher. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. They, was the pro- they missed the boat. They were supposed to do that on Duffel, Bo- on Duffel Bag Boy. Duffel Bag Boys? Yeah. They were supposed to Ben do that. When um, Little Wayne and Joel were supposed to be supposed to do I Can't, I can't feel, feel My Face. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they had a couple collab albums he dropped the ball on. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do something with T Pain, T Wayne album. Pain, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Time the- wise, I could agree with effects. I don't know if the time was the greatest to the collab album, but yeah. I'm not mad at what I heard. You know, looking yeah. at what's out in the market right now, from the younger generation to the legends, you know, like Busted yeah. put out a pretty decent album. Yeah, he did. You know, yeah. it grew on me. I didn't like it at first, but it grew on me. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I listen to it. It's, it's, it's remember, all right. Remember, you're getting yeah. opinions from a person that when they first heard Death of the Older Tune, he didn't, he, he didn't see the vision. <laughs> <laughs> that person right there. Yeah, I got it right there. Oh, you didn't see that? <laughs> yeah. He did not see the vision at all. Hmm. Every first time I heard that 30 seconds, of it, I was like, oh, let's go. He was yeah. like, no, I don't feel it. I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, Kim, what you was going to say? I think that the younger cats, what they understand more probably than, than a lot of the legends is that those numbers, like what you're talking about, the 350000 and the 60000 for them to make money, it doesn't mean as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So years ago, that 350000 count when you're trying to get people to go buy, pick up a physical article, Absolutely. go walk out their house, go to a store or something, 60000 yeah. now, they hoping that you got 60000 ears and I could just go perform for a ridiculous yeah. amount, so they don't—they don't even really care about those numbers. Yeah, because yeah, didn't Fifty yeah. say that Meek and uh, Ross's album did like thirty thousand or something crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he started killing them all. <laughs> yeah. I, I, honestly, that was like one of the th- one of the questions I had that I was going to ask you about because. So how many that was pro- how many streams that probably was that translates into that amount of physical copies like you think about it Duke could stream a million times and what does a million streams equate to 20,000 units so <laughs> or something like that Yo, right. you heard you heard Snoop just put out what he put out he said he got a, a check yeah. for a million streams and he got a $45,000 40, check <laughs> a billion come up to 45,000 right. it, 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 it didn't even come up to that so yeah. so that is like it's, that's just telling you alone that People need to really get on what they need to get on. You yeah, know. the digital age has devalued the monetization yes. Of, yes. of great hip hop music yes. overall. And that no one is exempt from that. No one is exempt from that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, it right. takes a super huge rollout. You know, in the high demand, like the Drakes and the Nickies for you to really do numbers first. Week. Yeah. So here's a question about that. What do you think about what I noticed that some independent artists and different artists are doing with this paywall thing where they put, you know, put their music behind a paywall or something where you can't get it? What do you, what do you think of that whole business? When you say paywall, are you talking about like direct to consumer, like a website? Yeah. You know what's funny? I feel like. Uh, if you do what I call ancillary uh, releases, like physical copies, not just digital, like like mm-hmm. vinyl, yeah, limited cassette, 
some merch, you'll monetize your product way more. Okay. Mm. Absolutely. You know, I know AZ was doing direct to consumer at one point before he, he, he got with the distributor he's using now mm. that I introduced to him, actually. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, um, he was doing direct to consumer quiet money direct, if you notice, with his independent releases. Yeah. He was putting out music and physical product. He's probably making more money off his music then than going back to just streaming, but I feel like he was playing the game to compete in the market with other artists that are putting out streaming product. He just needs to find the right home to put it out and, and get better get better at the machine of rolling his music out. Yeah. Imagine if imagine if Drake said that, yo, I'm putting my album for download only or for OVO <laughs> website for Wow. As a matter of fact, I think Taylor Swift did a vinyl version of her mm -hmm. latest album. Uh, I think FX told me he said she did crazy numbers. She did, she did, she did CDs on, she did, um, she actually did units. But I'm gonna say this though. When y'all keep, I, like, I hear people say independent, independent, and, you know, me and BP, we, you know, we kind of bump heads in this. Um, I, they haven't been independent to me since the beginning of cash money, the beginning of, you talking, um, you talking grassroots. Yeah, because, because I'm, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, right? So when we talk about the mixtape, mixtapes, all the one thing about a mixtape, they're always following what a person been driving. When sure. it's that, right? Cassette players. When it's CD. I, I was sounding the CD, car, CD pl players. Every car. Blast drive, uh, stream, yeah. Blast drive. So my thing is like this. I know in New York City, it's over 400 um, um, bodegas, mm, yeah. right? All of them, if you have a good relationship, they will sell your music. Just like how they used to sell our mix. Mm -hmm. Bag of chips, quarter water, Lucy's music, <laughs> all the same black bag. Chopped cheese, whatever you want. Now they got this nasty chopped salmon. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> so my whole thing is like this. Get a box, 20. Aki, here, put this in there. Come on, let's do the split. Mm -hmm. And you do that everywhere you go. You just mean you can make your money. Pay attention to FX. FX was doing something else too besides DJing. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, yo. So, I right, so hold on, hold on, hold on. So, right, so, let's have this discussion. All right. So, all right. He told us his impression of independent. PZ, you tell us what's your impression of independent. I'm glad you asked me that because I was about to say that. <laughs> I feel like independent to me is when you're dealing with a distribution partner and you're using your own resources whatever they are whether you as one individual or a small team of individuals are using your resources to market that product whether it's social media digital marketing streaming playlisting servicing videos yourself hmm. if you don't have a machine and when i say machine i'm talking about a label major label machine like the Def Jams, the Universals, the Warners, the Interscopes, 
with a staff of people working your music, you are independent. Mm. Period. Oh. Now I'm gonna say this. <laughs> I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. So your Apple, your Spotify, your Pandora, your, all your streaming services. Mm -hmm. Do y'all know who damn near runs those 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 streaming services? The majors. So mm -hmm. it's it's like soon you get in bed with like your tune calls and all those streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. You still are linked to the to the major. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only thing the only thing that's different is okay. Label services. Yeah, the the, the, mm -hmm. the admin. You know? Mm -hmm. So they can say you had like uh, I don't know, like twenty thousand a blow. You could take some of that money for Spotify services. You know? Mm-hmm. Because money talks. Let me do this. Let me do A, A B, C, D, E, F, G. And they're gonna and they're gonna they're gonna um they're yeah. gonna commend you with the services. Yeah. I think, I think that, but my argument is that there are people who are putting out music that don't have money. Gotcha. At all. Well, that's but what I was also, but it also shows it also shows once they put them on the streaming services, it reflects with the number. You know what mm. I'm saying? So it's like you working. You working with the label, but it depends on if you if you spending the, if you spending the marketing dollars for your for your for your project, mm -hmm. right? You may want ads. They got they got services where well, how many ads you want? Mm. Up? And this is like Pandora. So every yeah. time it plays a song, there's an ad pop up or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So. That's how that streaming services is making their money for playing your music. Mm. You get a percent off of, off of that, yeah. which is ran by either Sony, Universal. Right. They still get. They still get. Yeah. So 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 I like what I hear is like the difference in terms of direct to consumer. Like that's what I said. I think you think of like grants, grassroots direct to consumer, like hand to hand. Yeah. Type thing, which I mean, you your monetary split would be substantially more, yeah. But then the other part of it is also the reach, right? Yeah. So, and we saying 400 bodegas, and it depends on what your fan base is. Like I said earlier, if you had a Drake and Drake put his music behind a paywall, he's already he already has that established yeah. fan base uh -huh. that you know people are gonna clam for. But if you if you don't have that fan base, you casting sort of like that wide net saying, right, I'm going to put that wide net out there. From, from the inception, yeah. Yeah, that's just what I bring, bring back in. Like, so <clears throat> if an artist could ever get to the point of developing, and, I, and you know, I tell this to like artists that, you know, that we know sometimes, I'm like, yo, you know, instead of thinking major and working with like these big labels, you know, if you have a thousand, think about it, if you have a thousand diehard fans that you know is going to go out and buy whatever you, whatever it is you selling, your shirt, your album, whatever, whatever it is you're selling, you know that they'll actually be consumers of it and purchase it, purchase it. Right. Something like that, you put behind a paywall and you say, I'm charging $5, $10 or whatever it is. I think that you could, you could actually make a case that that's better to do than saying like, I'm going to take, you know, pennies on a penny for um, a, a percentage of a penny for a stream. But I don't know if everybody already has that fan base built in. And I think that that's the part that a lot of people are missing probably from labels because labels would actually develop 
talent exactly. and help people build exactly. fan base and stuff like that. Like so that's when you little dice and tricky. Right. Well, like you, know, you mentioned Drake, Drake built his audience being marketed by a major. Yeah. To be able to walk away tomorrow and do the direct consumer that you just mentioned. Same yeah. thing with Nicki. Same thing with Jay-Z. Same thing with Nas. Mm-hmm. Reason why AZ survives to this day is because he did have a machine behind him early in his career. Mm-hmm. Along with the actual talent that people still follow and respect. 50 Cent even had a machine to push him on a certain level, but he was building an audience independently before that. Yeah. yeah. But he got bigger once he had a machine behind him. So now he can go back to just saying, you know what? I'm a musician and I'm also acting and producing film and television content. I'm going to put out some music direct to consumer. He can make some money. He can do that. But I'm talking about from the inception. When you're a new artist with amazing talent and no machine and no money, limited resources, you're just putting it into DSPs. Good luck. I'm yeah. say this. <laughs> good, a good example of what I'm talking about Tech Nine. Mm-hmm. Tech Nine, all that DSPs and all that, what he's been doing is strictly hand to hand. Hand to hand. He prints it like he still goes the same route and he's making millions. Russ is even now doing Russ, that. Russ, yep, I agree with that. He's, 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 he's doing that. Um, like I keep saying, every is 50 states. Every state have a mama has a mama pop store that's selling subway sandwiches. You hungry? Mm-hmm. Yo, let me get a, let me let me get a, let me get a hero. Every every state got a spot where they selling him quarter water. I, I will agree with him on Bad that. It, it is a harder road travel, it's, but it's not impossible because in in, in 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 fairness to Russell, he just mentioned Russ put out consistently a lot of music that we don't even know about yeah. to build the audience that he has today. Yeah. Well, records and albums consistently for years. And you really don't need, and you really don't need the DSPs. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like you think in this in this era that we in, it's a digital era, era, right? So you start looking at social media like a person can create a buzz, and by creating that buzz, that could help you with the hand to hand element of it. But I I feel like like it's an evolution to get to the point where you know maybe you have the fan base and you have the belief also because they're they're established artists like i remember one time listening to an interview with jada kiss was talking about he'd rather stay on the major you know and he ain't recouping well maybe now because the budgets are considerably smaller but you're not recouping you get an advance you don't have to do all the the the, the self promotion and marketing and stuff like that you just got to show up and you got the machine behind you you know where some people, right. dude some people that'd be like yo i'll forget the advance i'll put up my own money and then I'll get, you know, a, a quick flip. I think Jim Jones is an example of that. that Jim Jones. I'm opposite of Jada on that. Yeah. I'm going to say this. Yeah. i say this. Jada is in a position now. And Jada always had, always had that position. Like, his family sells coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Think about this. Walkable, bro. Right? But so, do he want to do the work associated with selling? See? No, I'm going to do the a bag, of co- a bag of coffee, bag of music. Mm-hmm. Like, like, let's just say, let's just say his his father, and you have like 
a whole pallet of coffee coffee beans, right? Mm-hmm. So he already has a distribution network. You turn those places where he's selling the coffee at, right? Those cafes, those supermarkets, because we all know out of town supermarkets is different than New York supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? They become so, like stores. Yeah. So it's easy to get your product and and you know sell sell your music. I think I think you gotta have that name first, like they're saying though, because nobody like even the, 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 the machine is not gonna invest in you if they don't they don't already know you. Like it's very hard to get these guys to pick somebody up. You know like, what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna blow your mind with this because I don't think like we talk we we talking around a lot of this in terms of like we talking product we talking but you know what actually the main shift has to happen the artist mindset has to shift around it that's that's what's actually there's still there's still artists that's probably out here trying to get a record deal yeah no so once shift then you'll be able to do that because fx what you're talking about is innovation you're talking about being innovative and forward thinking there's a lot of dudes that this is the way that I've seen it done. Somewhere, somebody, let's be real, somewhere, somebody in America probably still sending a demo to a record label. <laughs> that don't know, don't know about it. Just, it is what it is. Like, somebody's mind hasn't evolved I don't um, around it. A lot of these guys don't care anymore yeah. about the record sales because you figure, right? Let's say even, you know, talking about somebody like AZ release that he put out his new thing. He may do whatever X amount of units, but here's the thing. The amount of shows and money he's gonna get because he's revitalized his name, right. even perform he's new cool. stuff or old stuff, whatever he wants to perform. One of those shows might cover everything that he put, you know, put into. It. Yo, that's exactly what these artists think because they're so entitled mm-hmm. by being marketed by major labels. They treat new releases like an advertisement. Yeah, yeah. Not thinking about the numbers on the back end. They're thinking about. The ramifications of being heard and seen again. To and yes, no money. Mm-hmm. Yo, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm gonna say this though: new artists. You get a new artist off the street, like they just say, like a Doug B. I'm just saying, for example, or a Ice Spice. Mm-hmm. Can't expect like what y'all was saying, far as marketing they, they, you know, treating it as a, a B and C. The problem was going on is. You got younger A and R's. See the A and R, the A the A and R person, all they looking at is analytics. Facts. You know they looking at okay, what's they social, what's they social media. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not really the artist because the artist really, you know, coming from in cottage one day or whatever they was doing last week. Now this week, they got a song on the radio. Like, what do they know? They don't know that. Yeah. So it's the person that's working their project. So, and I look at the person that's working their project, they a little bit younger than everybody that's in, you know, that's in the boxes right now. Yeah. You know, and the first thing they going, First thing they're looking at is what's the analytics. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think that A and R's exist at this point. I just thought that regular labels was looking at how many followers you got on social media, and that's yeah, it. It's it's that. TikTok. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah you, got, you got, you got, you got, young, you got young A and R's that, you know, because they had to know 
where to get the talent from anyway. Mm. So there's somebody that's a little bit young that's IG. You know, Go on IG. That's where you get your talent from. Yo, while we talking about um distribution, just a quick question for you. How'd you guys select um Maverick Global as your distributor? Yeah, what made y'all decide to make that decision? Um, well, initially my company, XMG, as a as a music producer, executive producer, is still in partnership with 300 distribution of Sparta. Okay. However, specifically for untouchable DJs, you know, I've I confer with effects to create a different platform just to put out untouchable DJs content starting with executive decision so initially we were doing uh, a project with uh, in association with uh, a Bridge of the Gap conference owned by Manny Ayala in Atlanta recently and we treated this album as a promotional tool to support independent artists that were either performing at the conference or attending the conference Mm. And that's how it kind of accepted. And I was introduced by the, one of the co-owning partners of Maverick Global Distribution around the time mm. that we were planning to be a, a contributing part of the conference. However, once we spoke with the owner partners of the distribution platform, they were basically like, look, we're going to support your marketing on this, you know, like with our own network of resources in terms of media support. And another thing that made global, uh, Maverick Global Distribution interesting to me was that they, they allow people who have accounts there to distribute their music. When they refer other clients to use the platform, they can work out a percentage, uh, a, a referral percentage from the distributor to monetize the music that they distribute. So let's just say No Ideas Original Podcast decided to release another album project like the one y'all put out. Mm -hmm. And y'all switched over to Maverick Global Distribution through my referral. Mm -hmm. I would provide a a referral code once you set up your account where Maverick Distribution would give me a percentage separate from what you make. Mm -hmm. It will come from their side, not your side. And they will pay me a percentage uh, of their earnings from the distribution for referring it. So Yo, that, that's genius. That stuff is an incentive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's they'll they'll gl- they'll grow too. They'll be able to get more people to actually. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I so like that. that becomes an incentive to use their platform. You know, they're they're in all DSPs. The staff is very very um, great with admin. You know, if you have any technical issues, you can get people on the phone. You know, some of these distributors that go you go through hell or hot water. Just trying to make any edit changes if you have text errors or shout out to Distro Kid missing credits <laughs> on a song or or you know whatever you know what I mean so yeah so far yeah. good I cannot complain and their back office is very easy to use it's very user friendly when it mm-hmm. comes to looking at your stats looking at your numbers looking at uh, what your analytics of what monetizing. Uh, and I think within a 90 day period, you actually start payouts accordingly. Hmm, okay. Max, what are your thoughts about that? <clears throat> my, my whole thing. Well, you know, I see how it goes, man. Like, when it comes to, <laughs> to BPs, you already know, man. Like, one thing I do trust 1099. I know. I know for a fact I'm going, I'm, I'm going to make some money, you know, 
Yo. always been about physical monetization. Yo, I'm just, yo, I'm just fishing, <laughs> yo, yo, I'm just fishing FX, pulling up on somebody like, yo, I got executive decisions. What's up? <laughs> in, a, in a back alley. <laughs> yo, you need that. Yo, can yo, I need that executive decision? Going back to the actual conference I referred to that we were going to in Atlanta, he had a plan to literally pull out physical USBs like, yo. <laughs> That's a great idea. Because <laughs> my thing is like this, like, you know, and how I was going to do it, like, you know, it's they're all nice and packaged. This is a box of Oscars 20, you know, so easy to make a, uh, make a deal with the store owner, you know, I see you on the, I see you on the back end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many bodegas you working on it right now? My old store this, 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 this to let you know. So, um, yeah, I, yeah. Between me and Dirty Harry, we had a national um, mama pops list. Yeah, that's how the mixtapes, that's how the mixtapes was able, that's how the DJs was able to get those farming cars and things like that because you gotta have a national store. Mm -hmm. You gotta have um, what store across the nation that's gonna do A, B, and C. Um, in New York, you had um, Apple distribution. What's it? Red Apple distribu distribution. That was over there in the Bronx. That used mm -hmm. to, you know, dupe up um, CDs and they used to do it for you. Do the signal. So. Yeah. Every music, and if, if you think about it like this, right? So you look in the back of any magazine, right? And you see those ads of like, you see the strip, strip clubs, and <laughs> spirit companies and things like that. There's a book where you, you know, give you all the mom and pop run on the stores, and you just call. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, with, and with that said, I will uh, make an announcement that we will be doing a limited edition vinyl version that we're in negotiations with to one or two vinyl distributors oh. of specific target cuts from Executive Decision. Ah. And every other release we do, we're gonna have you know you know ancillary product separate for the digital versions yes. of, our, of our releases. Because it's important, you know, respecting DJ culture, we want to have some vinyl circulating internationally, you know? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yo, yo PZ, you being the Robert Johnson. Yeah, you talking Robert Johnson moves over there. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, trying, man. Got an arm connected to another arm, yeah. connected to a leg. I'm trying, man. Yo, you know what's dope about though that, though? Because sometimes you see people that are creative don't evolve to... The business element they don't involve the businessmen they just stay in creative mode or creative mode so it's good to see that your brothers is actually forward thinking in that sense so like all right we got to figure out like the actual business element of it too yeah, yeah. i mean these are things that me and effects talk about all the time okay we wear a lot of hats we a lot of times a lot we wear of the creative like, hat and then we wear the business hat yeah, yeah. i think a lot of times when i be saying certain ideas and things like that i think you know, it sound it, it sound crazy, but I think BPs would be like, "Yo, you know what? That shit can work. <laughs> Yo, that shit might work. <laughs> it, it, it just might, yeah." But on the same token, 
because we both competitive, like competitive spirit. Mm-hmm. I think it's I, I think it's a little bit like one of you know what I'm saying okay you know. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, you, you know what yo nah you gotta you gotta you gotta figure out in this day and age like how to how to fully monetize you know everything that you're doing so yeah. what you're saying like I said I'm listening to I'm like yeah I could see I could definitely see I see your vision and I see where you're going with it and what you want to um what you want to do with it definitely so yeah um, because over the years I, I have been lucky enough to build relationships with vital um, curated companies and distributors like that do things in Europe and Japan mm-hmm. Canada right. so I want to capitalize on that and understanding my brand as a producer understanding my career history and the core fan base that I have and what I do mm-hmm. tied for what me and effects do collectively as a touch with DJs mm-hmm. and be able to create products that are not just one platform, you know? So the DSPs was the starter. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was needed because as untouchable DJs, we didn't have retail history of DSPs. Mm-hmm. Now we do. Yeah. You can literally type in untouchables DJs in any DSP and there we are. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do going forward is up to us. Right. And what's so dope about it is you will never, like, like you think about the project and basically how the project was being mixed and how you know the cuts and all that and me bringing it back mm-hmm. you haven't really heard that on dsp no sir no. Yo, the fact that we was able to get away with that yep and wait mm-hmm. that, that, yeah. that was the raw part of listening to that joint i was like hold mm-hmm. on did he mix his mic? Yo, it was I don't real know. Mixing, and it was done in one mixing, day. Yeah. <laughs> yo, I don't know if yo, Rob and, and, and Yada, I don't know if y'all remember, but remember when we was doing our joint, I was like, yo, I want this to play disc at once. That yeah. was my original vision. I want I, I yeah. want to play straight through right. disc at once. And I just said, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, we learned. Um, we learned. <laughs> <laughs> what we did was, effects actually did the DJ of the entire playlist in one take. Took okay. all the songs that we decided to put on the, on the track listing, put them in an order, played them live, we recorded it, then once we bounced the recorded audio file, we edited it down towards the track listing per song. Exactly. But the actual live aspect was never lost. Yeah. All right. And that, and that was so when you go for track one to track 10, you know, the, the artist, mm-hmm. the, the song will come based on the artist. And the transition of the song by the next artist, yeah. So, DJ aspect continued as the song plays. Nice. Mm. nice, we just felt that was important, man. That was important because one of the things we try to do with the DJ brand is also respecting the art text. We want to exemplify the art of DJ, we don't want to just play the records and talk over it like everybody else. Nice. Well, over the summer, man, you did it. You was on, on stage, did a set with Moni. How was that, bro? It was nerve-wracking because I had no rehearsal time. Oh, wow. You yeah. just the raw. Basically, basically um, I had to, at the last minute, request specific gear that I use because she was originally going to use Red Alert, who was there, also doing sets, you know, for some of the other people. Of yeah, Red Alert. But because of my work relationship with Moni, she was like, yo, I'd like for you to do it. And I was like, cool. So I get on and I already knew her set verbatim, you know, from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I think Red Alert went before me and he DJs backwards. And I'm explaining, mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about. He DJs where he'll set, he'll set the inputs where he's literally playing a platter from one side and he's cutting with one hand to the left, one hand to the right, mm -hmm. backwards. So he had his input settings opposite of what I had. So when oh. I came on, I'm playing the records and the input setting is off and I have to figure it out on the fly in front of everybody. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. It was crazy. I had yeah. to literally look at professors on the side of the stage and I point to them like, yo, come in. <laughs> <laughs> yo, you know what's so crazy? It was so dope because it's like, you ever saw like those old images of DJ Red Alert on the sideline looking at Bam while he mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while he was doing that, I was like, wow, I'm like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. We got through it, but it was, it was, it was definitely dope. Dope. It was fun though, and and Mo was cool. You know, like I didn't have no, no literal mistakes as far as playing, but I had to adjust on the fly while playing her set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So that was important. That was important. Boy, so when your next gig? Yeah. We're in talks with doing a, a, a listening slash networking event in January after the holidays. Oh, okay. To celebrate the release of Executive Decision and probably spotlight some exclusives from the next volume of Executive Decision. Okay. But yes, y'all hear it first. We're definitely doing a volume two the top of next year. Nice. Oh, nice. Only right. You know what I mean? Again, it's about building that brand and building that audience in the DSPs. I feel like if we got we got people's we get people's attention with this one, we're gonna keep them with the next one. Facts. Nova the Rebel, the making. Um yeah. yo, what what about now made you decide? And I know FX said he had it in the vault. Now was the right time to drop a record like that, telling your story so candidly. Man, I feel like uh, what I liked about the song when we recorded it, which was recorded in like 2007 or 2008, it was around the time I was in talks with Koch Records to do a producer album. Mm. They had just did an Alchemist album over there, and I was in talks and we had a budget discussion of about uh, 100000 But then Bob Perry, who was a VP and all the time, was trying to bring my budget down to like 60000 and I didn't agree to that because I felt like between the features that I had in mind that I had to pay and then marketing, I needed more money. Gotcha. The album was going to be called The Making. You know what I'm saying? So that song by Nova was basically me telling him about my life career and some of my accomplishments and mm -hmm. some of the pitfalls in third person. So that's why each verse, he's breaking down some of the things that I've been through yeah, my music in each verse, and it, it led uh, the end of the song leads up to him saying, "My album, The Making," which is why it ends that way because it was talking about me beginning to put out a producer album, which was planned for 2010, but I shelved it. I had I had features in place, songs in place, wow. still in still in the vault that I never put out because I couldn't come to the negotiations I wanted with Koch at the time. Wow, how about that? In effect, what made you say that this all right, this is the joint that need to be on this project? Um, it just it, 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 basically it went um, sonically. Um, I always have a theory: a song that's never heard, it's a new song. How about that? 
you know? So, BP had a whole nother totally different record for Nova, <laughs> right? So, that was just me, like, yo, this record right here is dope. Um, it's telling BP's story already. And it's like, yeah, it's the making of the album, but it's still like the making of the ride that BPZ is doing now. Yeah. If you think about it, because I want to tell you the truth. So when BPZ was in talk of doing that album, and this is around the time I was actually dropping physical mixtapes, 2009, I was trying to get him to be an untouchable. Yeah, that's how, that's how far back. See, he yeah. he don't tell that story. <laughs> when I was when I was actually dropping physical mixtapes in the street every week, I was like, "Yo, bro, you doing the music? I got the streets. Come on, let's go. Let's bat and boogie this thing." So, so the making is like, "Yo, he's yeah. here. Like, this is what it is now." Yes, that's fire. Yo, you know, shout out to Nova, man. Like we we've had we've we've had a working relationship for years, and he's been developing some amazing catalog. He actually has a EP I call um, "Vibes of the Soul," and I produced like three records on there. Mm-hmm. You know, check that out. Yeah, yeah, check that out. He's definitely talented. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on this new wave of artists selling their catalogs? It's funny you said that. I did that a year ago. Oh. I'm going to explain what I did. I basically sold the BMI performance royalty rights of all of my Duck Down Records catalog. Oh, wow. Just my Duck Down Records catalog. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay. So we're talking about the first five years of my career. Black Moon, Smith & Wesson, Elton Skelter, mm-hmm. OGC, you know, all the boot camp albums, all that stuff. I basically sold for an undisclosed amount of money a year ago, uh, the book, the BMI performance royalty earnings of that catalog. Mm-hmm. Meaning that the people who own it now, they can still get the residual income. License it, yeah. Every, yeah. every three months for the performance royalty earnings of those records for, okay. for an undisclosed amount of money they gave me up front to buy it from me. Yeah. Wow. Let me know. Uh... How does that how does that how does that conversation start? Like, do you approach somebody or are you engage somebody engages you and say, like, yo, this is something that we have interest in? Well, there's a company that does that as a business, and oh. I'm familiar with this company. Um they uh contacted me and they 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 told me that I could set up an account with them and just attach my BMI. Um, login user so they can literally based on the activity of my catalog throughout the year account for the value of my catalog and what it would go for I would auction it Mm -hmm. so I found that interesting so I did it so last year I I signed up I set up my BMI account and they literally would email me estimates (laughs) based on the value of my career catalog I'm like well you can earn this amount of money if you were to sell this or that mm-hmm. amount of money if you were to sell that and i was like this is dope i said but the thing is i don't want to sell all my catalog <laughs> mm-hmm. i just want to sell that <laughs> so from 1995 to 2000 which was mostly all the duck down records i produced 
um, some undisclosed person actually bought out my performance royalty rights. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because the funny thing is, when you, when you when you set up an auction and you get the offers from mm-hmm. buyers, they don't tell you who it is. Oh, okay. It's not. It's not like, for example, I won't see your name as the buyer. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That way, I could go go around the, the uh, company to contact them directly to try to sell it. You see what I'm saying? They set right. up where they don't have a contact person. They just tell you the amount of money, and then they set up your account where uh, if you approve, they facilitate the, the payment to your bank account and, and all that type of stuff. Nice. All right, so I'm going to reveal live. It was me that purchased it. Now, like, <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a fake. You sound like a fake. You know, I told him about it. First thing he would, he would make a joke. So, yeah, you know the flood flies by right now. <laughs> um, but what I found out, though, what I did find out, though, and, and um, not not on BPZ, but the stuff that's going on now, there's a hedge, there's a hedge um, company Um that has nothing to do with music. That's actually buying up um, these people's um, publishing, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, now like you actually got people from like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, and it's like, you know, and stocks that's actually buying. Yeah, sure. They're buying the bid. They're bidding up. Huh? Yeah. yeah. You you know something? Um, I was I don't know I I, I was thinking because I think didn't Justin Timberlake sell his for like a hundred million or something like that? I'm wondering if it's that artists artists are looking at like how um like the business which is that future I think did his too yeah Yeah. the business I think artists are looking at like the business element in terms of the monetization piece and seeing what streaming is and how to actually go about how they're going about generating revenue and probably saying like you know what like I don't know what it's going to mean down the, I know what the value of $100 million is today, but I don't know how much my catalog is actually going to generate down the line with all these different things coming into place. And I think the other part about it is um maybe an artist at Justin, Tim, Justin Timberlake's magnitude, but I think like some of the smaller artists, you hear people saying stuff like, yeah, I don't own my masters. And it's that, and, and y'all probably could speak to it more, but I'm not certain that a lot of artists even know how to monetize stuff like their masters. It's true. Um, sync licensing is a major business. I, I I watch television and I look at these streaming uh, shows and series and movies and I look at all the original music that's in there. Some of them are people I never heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, somebody got to check. Yeah, yeah. And I look at commercials. I just saw a commercial earlier today. They had Annie up in the background. I said, oh, they got to check. <laughs> then there's a Peloton, there's a Peloton commercial. They got there's a Peloton commercial with that Swiss Beast record is there with Eve, the tambourine. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, gosh, you just gotta check. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. And I say yeah. man, uh a lot of the, the the music supervisors that do jingles and do placements for that they're out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Definitely wanna make that more of my business. And funny thing is, as an independent label owner, I have a lot of original catalog that I own. Some of them are not sample driven. Mm-hmm. I won't have clearance issues that I can definitely pitch for licensing. Mm-hmm. Got to be in the right, be in the right rooms at the right time. Yeah. There you go. You know in the 90s, I made more money off of film and television catalog than I do now. Like, I got songs or movie soundtracks and in films that I still earn from, you know? Yeah. 
next Friday, High School High, mm-hmm. Gold Records or, or movie soundtrack. That was the shit in the 90s, man. You got a placement on a, a movie soundtrack, you was in the mud. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say this, too. You know, ever since, I think, you know, we all heard that Puff gave everybody they, they um, publishing back. They publishing back. You notice Faith Record been on several commercials. I don't know everybody repeat that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, um, and love the like this. Love like this. Love like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the world record too. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like you always hear a lot of artists talk about, yeah, my masters and this, that. But I, like I said, I don't know if, I don't know if people have gotten to the point where they think about like how they generate revenue beyond selling some merch or performing. Yeah. I don't know if you've uh, seen it. Some have the wherewithal of the resources to be able to do six. You're right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if y'all seen it, but after um 50 kind of dragged Rick Ross and Meek about those sales, Rick Ross just recently, I think it might have been yesterday, offered um, Lloyd Banks, Tony Yayo, and um, G-Unit. G-Unit. He offered to buy Beck for Mercy, Lloyd Banks catalog, Tony Yayo, and Young Bucks, and said he'd give him $2 million for all of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, 50 is wild. But Rick Ross is Rick Ross is wild, but 50 was wild for clowning him <laughs> to begin with because I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't really a fan of that project either. The um the Rick Ross and Meek Mill joint. I was like, eh, you know, side. Yeah. But there's um, a couple, there's a couple cuts on there, but it's yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, but um, that's what I'm saying. Like, I just think like in this era, it's just like music is so disposable. So people are just like, you know what? How much did it actually cost me to actually put this project together? You know, as long as I can make the money to recoup that and then throw an extra a little bit more money in my pocket, stay relevant and keep moving and right. the next project. I, I feel oh, like yeah. Jim Jones. Jim Jones did that a lot during the the pandemic. Like to me, Jim Jones was selling everything. At the height of the pandemic, and yeah, yeah cause that lobby, that lobby boys album came away. The one he did, yeah. with it did. So. I was, yeah, I was originally, I was initially, I was looking forward to it. I thought it was, yeah, gonna- I was hyped off that album too. Yeah. Best to tell you, when I started listening to that, I was trying to pick it apart and decide how much I liked it. But yeah, it was the album that came before. It. I don't know, y'all remember El Capo. Was it Apple? No, 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 no. Capo's the one he did with Heat Makers, right? Yeah, Capo was good. That was a dope album. Yeah, Capo yeah. yeah. was good. Yeah, Capo was good. That was the one. That was the one just before the pandemic. Yeah, I think that was Capo. Capo, I think, was just before the pandemic. El Capo. Mm-hmm. That was a good album. Yeah, it was. You can make an argument that, that Jim Jones, you know, like, I mean, recently Cam has resurged. He has, he's had a resurgence, but for a while, Jim sound more inspired as an artist than Cam did. Right. His confidence got up, man. He started mm-hmm. really saying so. You make it look like, all right, Jim, you improving, bro. All right. Yeah, yeah. He have, yeah Jim started getting real hungry. You're right. Yeah, he started improving a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't agree. I don't know if you guys seen this, but I don't agree with the sentiment that him and, um, that Cam and May said that where they said something like that. Joel's had the potential to be the next Jay-Z. You know, I thought Joel's was talented, but I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I, don't I know he was a lot. I, I know for me on a mixtape side of things, I think this is my opinion. 
I think when Joel's was doing a lot of features with Little Wayne, mm-hmm. Wayne fed off of oh yeah, Joel's. Once he had got his DNA, Little Wayne was off to the races. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. That yeah. Can't Feel My Face album, I yeah. think, even though it never came out, I think that's when Wayne got really better with his bars. Yeah. Yeah, nah, yeah. I, I can I can agree with that. What is your um what is your thought of the um Nas last two projects, the King's Disease 3 and um The Last Magic? Uh, the last magic, it's a lot of fast forward for me. I love Nas as far as I'm seeing, but the music didn't really hit me. You like Slow It Down? Uh, Slow It Down was probably one of the better records. I like what he's talking about on that record. He's talking about yeah. Yeah. That might have been. I, 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 I definitely listen to Nas for subject matter, not just production. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what he's about. And Slow It Down was fire. Like the city set on that record is crazy. It hit me like. After a couple of listens, it didn't hit me on the first listen. Mm-hmm. Slow it down particularly hit me after a couple of listens. It's funny you brought it up because that song, I called Moni about that song. Like, yo, did you hear this record? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said some shit on that record. That's, that's the yeah. one. That's the one where it's like a flip of Marvin Gaye, right? Yeah. 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 yeah it's fine. That's fine. Yeah. He's um, that to me that 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 King's Disease three didn't have any replay value for me. Right, it just right. didn't. King's Disease 2 didn't really have any replay value for me either. And I just, I couldn't understand, like, even the joint he got with 50. I'm like, why? It seemed like 50 got, like, eight balls. That was a throwaway record to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. I, I felt like it, too. Like, yeah, they just do that on there. Yeah, I'm like, yo, fucking yeah. around in the studio, and he's like, yo, you know what? I'm going to throw the 50 joint on there so they can see hands together. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but King, King's Disease 3, I liked a lot. I thought that was really good. I was listening to, I had drove down to um to Maryland over the weekend and I listened to like King Disease 1 through 3 all, all over again. I was like, right, yo, this is a good body of work. Initially, I was like, well, now nah, I am. I'm going to be real with you. I'm, I'm done with hearing him with Hit Boy. I don't need to hear him with Hit Boy no more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm off that. I'm off that. I feel like, like, I don't know what happened after they did the Scratch Magazine article, but him and Primo are supposed to be me that album. Yeah. 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 Wait for that. Yeah. What do you think about? I don't and know I if you feel like him and Lost Professor should have done the album. I yeah. think that'd be crazy. Hold on. Now, now you talking, Peasy. Yeah, I think that'd be crazy. What, what is what is LP doing though? Is he just? I doing mean, he's working. He's he smoking beef for a lot of Yeah. He's doing these forty-five sets with Diamond D all over the place. He got these sets. Yeah. He's he 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 on, he on, he he on his DJ shit. Yeah, he's on his DJ shit. But. Yo. He be with Lord Ness doing the smoking beats too. Beast. Shout out to yeah. Lord Ness. Yeah, yeah he been smoking beats for Lord Ness. Paul Beats is one of my favorite producers. I like how he finds the breaks and the groove. Oh, he's nasty. For his song. Like, looking out the front door. If you listen to make that, that album, all yeah. the grooves. It's so, the fucking album is so groovy and hip hop. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta be like, man, this thing yeah. got. Even Friendly gave a baseball and got you. The album was crazy. To me, Main Source's first album was like the blueprint to to 90s hip hop. Mm. Because everything after that changed. Even what Tribe was doing changed. Mm. Tribe's first album was more loop driven. Yeah. 
he would loop some dope shit and put drums to it. Right. It wasn't until after that first album, they were more intricate with their music selection, their drum tracks, and their programming. Mm-hmm. By the time they did Midnight Marauders, forget yeah, it. Locked in, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? And um, I think arguably between Tribe and Pete Rock's music, you're like, Main Source just set the tone for making those albums better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I ain't gonna I, ain't, I, ain't I had the honor of, of helping them with their reunion tour and licensing their, their first album to a curated vinyl back in 2018. We had, wow. We had a great time, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Alon got some personal projects that are nice too. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I never had him as being like a crazy MC or whatever, but he definitely can rap, right? See, I think Large is a student of Rakim. Mm. Like, if you look at how he raps and even his demeanor in the public space, he's a, he studied Rakim. He's a big Rakim fan. He studied him like no end. And I feel like it, it, even watching him through, when we went on tour, I learned that his only vice is that, you know, he doesn't have the confidence to be on stage in front of large crowds. Mm. Yeah. You know, like if it's more intimate, he'll get out and rock. Mm. Like, like uh, stadium levels, he, he, he doesn't have it in him. It's like he just wants to get off the stage. Wow. I think that's the only thing that hinders Lost Professor as a rapper, specifically. Yeah. Right? Is being able to connect to large crowds and not and be fearless about it. Yeah. Nas went through that too for years until he did Stomatic. Stomatic was the first real like tour he did for years. Mm. After the Stomatic album, he started touring more. Yeah. Now I have I, I had like early shows like Illmatic when Illmatic came out saw like nine shows I've seen his perform his performance has gotten a lot better too way better way yeah I've, I've seen shows where like dude flub like mad lyrics yeah yeah I've seen joints like um like I'm, I'm I think the best shows the best concert I've seen was the the Madison Square Garden joint he had the one night at Madison Square Garden that sh- that that was a crazy um performance yeah. Um, the other joint that I seen that was really good, I was at the Central Park when he did the Central Park joint, wow. and it wasn't because it was like a good stage show. It was just the time. It was the moment, you know. Like, yeah. you know, that made it good. But I've been through like other performances where I'm like, ah, uh, you know, it's just, I guess, because it's Nas, right? You know, but it, it wasn't thing, like it was like a crazy stage show. One thing I, I have one thing to say about back when Nas performances. If you notice, he always performs Illmatic, Stillmatic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like this. He got catalog way the fans, The fans want to hear your best album. They want to hear it was written. You want to hear those records. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hold like, on, I got on. a concert of footage of him in Europe, and he would do those songs. Mm. He would do like... A fake thug, show love. Did it, that joint yeah, off it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the message going in. Yeah, he did the message. He did, yeah, he did a couple joints on that. But that was a Europe show. It wasn't New York or in the states. You know what? You know what? I, um. So this is the age old debate too that everybody's saying. If we already know where you stand, FX, because we had Duwop, we had DJ Duwop on here. And he was me and him was talking about it going back and forth too. He was like, "Yo, he feels it was written was a better album than Illmatic." I'm a, yeah, my, 
Yo, my position on it, to be real with you, is that it was written was showed him, showed him in the light of a songwriter. It was the songs were better written, you know, it was better hooks and things like that. In terms of like raw lyricism, I would say Illmatic. But I seen his I seen his evolution. Like I see why people have that debate and that discussion about you know which album will be better. You know, commercial commercial success clearly it was written. Um, but it is just something about Illmatic that I think that just you know like the 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 nostalgia of it is something about Illmatic that is I, always going to be for me like his best work. I think it's this. I think it's the storyline. It's the the document. I'm just going to say like this: the fact that. You had all these incredible, you know, producers at the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You had, you had Q-Tip with Tribe Called Quest and Tribe Called Quest was You had um, Pete Rock. Pete Rock was saying. Premier. You had Premier. When Premier. I mean, right off the cuff of, you know, main source. So, you know, if you take in that, and everybody in there, then you had premiere so it's like the whole like it's the whole Cinderella storyline behind that mm-hmm. but for me I always go with like at that particular time see like all the second albums was like better to me than, than people first the people first, like even you look at it, a lot of people don't like whole second album, but if you think about it, if you take away the commercial success records, right, mm-hmm. those away, and think about those songs and like you know those those particular songs, like American Players and and um. Um, watching what's on there he's just watching and see me and things like that those that album to me was sonically better than reasonable doubt reasonable doubt um i'm not i'm a, I, I would still go reasonable doubt and i'm gonna tell you the reason why i would go reasonable the reason why i would go reasonable doubt is because i feel like like i was saying earlier i, I feel like a lot of the records on his second album was him demonstrating like yo? I want to have crossover appeal, right? And going in, saying like yo, I need a, I need a big, re- a, bi- a big radio record instead of creating a record organically to make it the radio. Now, in the first album, yeah, ain't, no- which became a big radio record organically. I don't know if he set out and made that saying like yo, I want to make this and this is gonna go to radio. It or just can't knock the hustle with Mary. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, I mean, if you think about it, like if you take away, of course. You know, the record that he had with Babyface and mm-hmm. Brooklyn Crew, you know what I'm saying? If you take away those commercial records, mm-hmm. right? Take away the take away those commercial records. That album is still to me better record. A better yeah. album. He had um he had City is mine. He had other girls like on it. I'm like, those, yo, I'm not gonna front. I like the records, but I'm just like, from this to, you know, and see, those are the three records. Those are the three records, you know, gets the fast forward. Like, like, uh, (laughs) I know what, I know what, I know what girls like. Um, the, the baby face record, 
Brooklyn Crew. Now you take away those three records, everything else is is is, is crazy. You gotta take what away. You say you get like look at Peasy re reaction. What'd you say, Peasy? <laughs> I'm agreeing with him because it was the fluff records that make you not pay attention to the the art mm -hmm. record. The art records was like imaginary player, Lucky Me. Uh, Streets is watching where he was still MCing and he was definitely talking that talk. Friend of foe. And talking that money talk, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Rap game, he had rap game, crack game on there. He had that was hard. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to, yo, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Y'all go song for song, right? So, you know, the first album, the first album, it was like, what was his, what was his radio records on that? Can't, can't, can't knock, knock the hustle, hustle. Ain't no. yeah, and something else. Probably that can't knock the hustle. Ain't, um, I don't know. That was were they playing Can I Live? Nah, they wasn't playing Can I Live like that. Okay, they weren't playing Can I Live. So those were those were probably the two. Yeah. Now, now you take away those two, right? So I remember buying that from the comic. No. Where I bought that from? I bought that from Hot Wax. I bought that from Hot Wax. In Jamaica, I remember. Mm -hmm. Sudden, sudden that cassette. I bought it, listened to it. I was like, man, yo, I sold it. <laughs> and I copped it years later. You know, I copped that album years later. You I know, can't front effects made me want to listen to that second Jay Z album like yo, <laughs> no, it's it's yo, it's 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 a good album. I'm not yeah, I'm not it it's a good yeah, album. We, yeah, yep. on there. Some joy we had uh we had Mike Geronimo on too, and I was saying to Mike Geronimo, like, yo, for me, Mike Geronimo's first album, The Natural, I liked it. You know, based on the time frame of everything that was going on. You know, you had the Nas, you had the Black Moon, you had a big Allen. It just OC first album World Life. That's one of my favorite albums. Yeah, it just all yeah, it just surviving internationally off that record. Yeah, but the thing that everybody stepped up their thing on the second. Like you, I know for a fact, Mike Geronimo. See, I, you know, listen, Mike Geronimo's second album was fire. But not in the records at point figures at the, at the at the what we call the fluff records like the puff song. He messed with yo. He started messing with Puff, the Hitman, and all that. And when we had him on, I said I was like, yo, was this a decision by you or was it by the label to actually put these records together because he had a formula that worked for him. And 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 I yo, I respect that artists should have the right to grow and take risk. I understand that, but it was just like blatant commercial attempts and i'm like this is this ain't you bro like you know why'd you why are you making this like his his to me mike geronimo's first album is better than his second album i had to disagree okay because mike mike geronimo's second album is the introduction of dmx the introduction of jay-z you had flush on there they was you know flush was on the first album too yeah flush was on there but the song was better what song was Flush on on the second album? On the first album, he was on Master IC. That was yeah, the yeah, Master IC. Yeah. Second album wasn't bad, 
but it was just too that many. That second album, that second album. What's the name of that second album? I don't remember. Vendetta. Vendetta. Remember he sampled the um the joint Single Life? He had Jay-Z on it. I'm living a single. Yeah. I like that record. Carl Thomas and Jay-Z on it. My yeah. whole, it's like, it was taking them, it was, it, 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 it was taking them to, now you're going to hear Flush in the Clubs. You're going to hear them in, um, what was the club at the time? The Kit Kat Club. Now mm-hmm. you're going to hear them in rotation. You know? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to get your one, two on. Did you like, did you like nothing but, um, what was it? Nothing Move But The Money? The Prestige Joint. Yeah. I like that. Wasn't for me. <laughs> With the transformation sample? I love the sample. It wasn't, I mean, I just, you know what it is? I'm coming off of, For I me, remember. it didn't work for Mike, though. I like yeah. the record more than I like Mike on the record. Yeah, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that, you know, artists want to grow. I think labels get behind them, and they see, like, all right, you know what? You had moderate success with your first project. What do we need to do to put you over the edge? Because clearly, they put more more marketing dollars into it. The budget was bigger. He had the hitmen. Behind so let me ask you a question. So, mm-hmm. did you did you want it? Did you want it records where, you know, you just heard it and just the box was just this? Nah, I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck in boom bap. Like I like no, I said, I'm not saying in boom bap. I'm just saying where where it's just like you know sometimes sometimes we get caught up in the um, the lyrics is is, is is superb, but the music doesn't do nothing for you. Mm. You know, like yeah, that, I look at a lot of Nas's career is defined by that. Yeah, I look at I look at I look at some I look at some music, and me as a DJ, where will you play that? That's a fact. Yeah, the only record you gonna play on Mike Jamamo's first um, album is it's real. It's real. Mm-hmm. Then he had um, the remix to the Lost Boy record. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Nah, I, I don't know. I just think that sometimes, like, people, you know, it's no, like the crazy I had to, I had to, no, I had to respect because at the time and the Palladium, they was playing Master IC. So, Master the, sound, the sound was, the mm-hmm. sound was different. But to me, it sounded like, it sounded too, for me, it sounded too Brooklyn for me. Mm. It sounded like it sounded like it could have been a duck down record. Okay. Okay. Musically, Master I see does feel like a bootcamp record. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, like, definitely. I could have easily heard Buck out on that track. You're right. And 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 the second album sounded more like a Queens record, a Queens album. The second album to me gave me like bad boy vibes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Because you had not, you, I mean, you had no no disrespect. You had Nasheen. Nasheen Merrick. Yeah. That's yeah. Queen. Yeah. Um, I'm from, so from first to second album, a person whose second album I think was better than their first album, y'all may disagree with me on this, is I thought Cam's second album. I like Cam's second album better than I like this first album. But I think his... His Which first Confessions of Fire. That was that first. The first album, Confessions of Fire, was the first album. Second album was Sports, Drugs, and Entertainment. S T E. Okay. Yeah. And the first album, I think that from him being, you know, initially linked with Mace and seeing Mace success, I think he set out to make a whole bunch of commercial attempt records, and you know, like he had he had good records on there, but 
it just was i'm like nah like i heard three 357 joint i'm like all right, yo this dude really could spit and then i heard the, i heard horse and carriage similar to what you say in fx like i it don't always have to be the same bop it was like your horse and carriage is crazy and i'm expecting more along the lines of that and then i start hearing like some of these other records not that they were horrible records but like he had the joint with usher with the, um was it the teddy pendergrass sample i think mm-hmm. um he had the jermaine dupree rocking and rolling like he had a lot a lot of records like that and i'm like why you know see you gotta remember we came from a town where prior to that everybody's first album it is what it was but then then i had to say somewhere between like 92 no between like 93 94 can i give you another example Tribe Core Quest second album was better than the first one. Agreed. Yeah, we agree on something. I, I agree with that. <laughs> that Joe's second album was way better. It was light years better than light years. But you know why that is? There was a there was another pin behind behind it too. You know, so I think the second album may have been like the inception of the big pun pin getting yeah. involved. But then when we get to eight, 1998, then it went backwards. Then like for me, no, you know, RP to DMX. I like DMX first album, then I like his second album. Then I it went backwards. But you know why that was? DMX was scorching hot with that first album, and Def Jam stepped to him and was like, yo, can we get a second project? I think DMX was like one of the first dudes to put out two albums in the yeah. same year. Yeah. No. So he was hot and they wanted to capitalize on it. Yo. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna leave y'all with this one. This is an unpopular opinion that me and people debate a lot. During the time, I thought it was a cool album, but it hasn't aged well to me. Volume two, Hard Knock Life album. For me now, listening to that, I just listen to it. I'm like, I just, it's just not for me. Like, I, I don't know if it's like the Swizz beats. Mm. And, and, and now, like, sonically, where we are, Money I can't. Cash goes. Yeah, like I never thought that was a great record, honestly. <laughs> I never thought that what was What made great that record to me was DMX. Yeah. He he hyped that record up in the hook. See? Now I guarantee you you listen to if you listen to the second album. I would take the second album over that. I would. I would. But I'm a sam- I'm a dude who likes samples and shit like that. I don't like the computer. <laughs> yeah, and the hard knock life was a classic. You know, rest in peace, 45 King. That was but a classic. Like you said, there was a lot of flossy records on that Hard Knock Life album. Money to Think was another record that was on there, and so was that song with um, a bill, um, Can I Get It? Can I Get It? You know, all the hit records off the single. Those were all the album. And carry that album. Can you I Get It? Money to Think and Hard Knock Life were the songs that carried that album. Yeah. You know whose album is really underrated? Is Jermaine Dupree, um, so life in fourteen, life in fourteen, life in 14 yeah. nineteen, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yo, yeah. I, yo, I got, I, you know, what's my joint that I always, I'm a sentimental joint. The um, the joint with Mariah Carey. I always loved that joint, just because mm-hmm. I, I always like that old record, the Sweetheart joint. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. It's that is that is that is a better record than he get credit for. Yeah. yeah. I like jazz. I like jazz. This is this is great dialogue, Chad. For real. <laughs> Yo, you yeah. definitely had us tapped in tonight, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about Lola Brooke before we started doing the interview, right? Yeah. 
The reason why I'm not crazy about that record is I feel like there is a trendy thing in, in mainstream hip hop where I know, I know what it is. these reaches where they regurgitate a classic record mm -hmm. to make the singles. And I feel like Lola Brooke is talented enough to carry the weight of original songs without mm -hmm. having that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Lola Brooke could have created a path for her artistry the same way Foxy created a path for her artistry. Mm -hmm. Where, yeah, it's the one thing to use a sample, but she's sampling a sample. Do you understand what I'm saying with that single? You know, you know, um, well, it's, it's the cheat code. You know what I think the difference is? So, sampling before was actually digging in the crates. Now, the stuff right. they sampling, and I don't know. And I'm like, damn, it's, 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 it's sampling a rap song. It's, it's so modern, too. It's like, it's like a sample like, of a sample. Yeah, well, I mean, yo, what about you like the Burner Boy joint with um sitting on top of the world sample? I, I hated that record when it came out, but I get it. <laughs> I get yeah, it. It's the cheat code. Yeah, it is the cheat code. It's the cheat code. It's what people it worked. Do. It worked, but you know, as soon as I heard, it, I was like, oh god. <laughs> um, I think yo, know, general rule of thumb for me though is that like, and this is this is like you know like, um. Y'all to do beats, you know, we got like other dudes that do beats and all that. I don't touch no keys. I just I'm I just have ideas and stuff like that. So to me, I just go with what sounds good to me and what feels good um to me. So I don't I'm a purist in the sense that I, I love right. and I enjoy music, but I don't put any you don't you know, I'm not I don't have a qualifier around it like yo, this sample's too new or this that or whatever. Like if I hear it and it sounds good, I'm like, I can fuck with that, it sounds good. Right. Um, kind of thing. Um, but I get what I get what you're saying and where you're going with it because it's, I look at I'm like, like, Lola, like she was on to something when she had her first hit. Oh, that was not like don't play with it. That energy going with the way she raps, her talent is mm -hmm. Find some original musical ideas. Like your show says, no ideas original, man. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to see more of that, her getting bigger and bigger without having to just borrow from something that already was a hit. Yeah. You know? Who who who, who y'all talking about? Lola? Lola. Yeah. Nah, I love that record, man. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. <laughs> and the reason why, and the reason why is because it's like, you know, BPZ sound like my mom's. I get it though. She's paying homage, Brooklyn, female rapper, blah, blah. No, it's like, she, like what BPZ is saying, right? Mm -hmm. I remember the very first time my mom heard Sugar Hill. When she heard, um, that's in to me. The, 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 the Sugar Hill, the Sugar Hill ride. It's the hit, hop, the hit. It. And when she heard that, she was oh, like, she was like, you mean to tell me you listen to something that this took from good times? Yeah. And she then when she, and then when my mom kept hearing rap records and things like that, she kept pointing out, oh, this is this, this is this, this is mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So she was saying in her defense that rap music is not really going is is is, is not a good genre of music because mm. it keeps taking from familiar records. Mm. Yeah. I don't care how much you you chop it up and try to disguise it, like the older folks, like you know, my aunt's age, my mom's age, they heard it. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we, yo, maybe we've shifted from the era where it's about finding a sample that's unknown to people 
to an era where it's like, you know, this is like I said, this is the cheat code. We already know this record was a hit before. Why it can't be a hit now? Right. I mean, uh, that was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that this didn't hip hop, didn't hip hop started with because if that's the case, the generation, the generation like the forefathers, they older brothers did not approve of hip hop. Because the breaks, you know, everything was at the B side. Yeah. But it was the break. They, it was the break that, that started the party. It was the break that started the party, but those breaks is original songs. Yeah, they, they come from original songs. Yeah, they come from original songs, but you gotta understand this too. When, 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 when the, like, you gotta think, like, you got somebody who's in their 60s, but the person that's in their 70s, when they hear that record, they, it's like, you know, we playing a break, but they hearing the whole they, they song. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so they looking at it as, this is not original. This is the song. Right, right, so right. it plays right into what BPZ is saying. Like, well, you taking something that was a hit and you recreating it. How much you going to read, you know what I'm saying? So... <laughs> Does the average does the average music consumer listen for artistry though? Like, are they listening for yo? Where's that sample from? Or, you know, or or you know, like, oh yo, the the that the, you know, those, I like how those hi hat sound. Or yo, what? That's a great snare. Or the average consumer listening for that kind of stuff? No, I think the, I think the older I think the older generation. The older I think I think. Each generation, we listen to records different than these other kids. Period. But you know why? Let and me go to FX. You know why the older gen, the older generation probably do because musicianship was different. There was yes. more appreciation. Yeah, yeah. So, and so right the, now, the megahertz, the megahertz in which we were listening to music was a lot different too. It was a lot slower, and it went to your your rhythm heartbeat rate, like your four thirty two rhythm, boom boom back. Boom, boom, bop. Now she's crazy. But see, the thing is, though, that always happened because you had disco. Disco was, Even disco, disco was sped up, but it was still boom, boom, bop. Not ready. We made it because we slowed it down. What's a good disco song I can't think of one right now? Jeez. Okay. Donna, uh, Donna Summers. Mm-hmm. I turn around, whatever that what you call it. That thing was one thirty-six. Once you slow that down, ding, 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 ding. You see what you had to do? You had to just yeah. like I tell you another one. All about the Benjamins. That's a disco record. Mm. That's a now. That's an um shit. Ding, 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 My mom's here that. They getting ready. They, they <laughs> getting ready to clear the um, <laughs> cut her up. Right break. Right break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But see, when Diddy slowed it, when we pumped, well, he got slowed it down and made it into. You know what I'm saying? So, so you that gotta was, look at that it. Was a so when my mom heard that record, that. all about the Benjamin, that was a genius not, record. She's not hearing, she's not hearing the genius of what D Dot is doing. She's hearing now, she's hearing Sheik. Cause yo, when we were sampling, it was like, you know, people like you had to dig in the crates to find the sample. Even if it was a popular record, 
there was sort of like a, a rule that it had to be a certain amount of time passed before. But now somebody could put out a, a record and then two years later, somebody sampling it, yeah, redoing yeah, it yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. So, so what was your thoughts from the first time when y'all heard, what was your thought the first time when you heard Foxy Brown um, get me home tonight with, um, with Black Street? And I, I can tell you, and I can tell you, and I can tell you what my mom's in that generation was saying. They was everything that BPZ is saying right now. My mom's, I, I had to hear that coming <laughs> from my mom's and my aunt and my uncles. They was like, that shit is trash. <laughs> because they was think because they thought we, we, we thought we ruined it. We well, ruined yo, it. in their defense, if I had a choice, you told me I could listen to either record, I probably would listen to the original. original. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Because they was because if you listen to it, the instrumentation, oh, right. the instrumentation, mm-hmm. right? Think about it. The instrumentation, the chorus. Get you home with me tonight. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I think, who, who was saying this, y'all, when he went to um, the studio? Um, Jay Supreme. He was mm-hmm. said Puff was... People don't dance no more, period. But what Puff did, D-Dot, Hitmakers, they found the groove, the shit that just made you... Even if it was on loop, you were still going to do this. Yeah. Nah, I ain't gonna front. But some y'all, perfect some example is what they did with that Biggie record with Hypnotize. That's such an in-your-face Chuck Mangione record. They yeah. Yeah. But see, yeah. again, again, we like the records, right? But we not thinking about the generations, two generations ahead of that. Mm. Herb Alba didn't think that record was hot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm, I, I. To go back to the Foxy stuff, but like off of Foxy's first project, if you put Foxy's first project side by side with Little Kim's first project, and I was probably a bigger Foxy fan back then to me, Little Kim's project aged better yeah, than yeah. Foxy's to me. Like I, I probably a few years ago, I listened to both of them back and I was like, damn, like a lot of this stuff, like even the samples that Trackmasters pick, you know, I'm like, I just, I don't, you know, you got, I think she had the joint with like the Luther sample or something. Um, I remember hearing on Clue Tape, the original Nasty Boy, uh, it was the Nasty Boy joint before it changed to I'll Be Good. Right, and it, to right. me, the original Nasty Boy joint was better than that. I'm like, damn, you sampling that? Like, it just, it was just too many popular samples. Like, I, the it's shelf like Yeah, it's a lot of Yeah, I was like, nah, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not for this. I mean, it, for the time it worked, but yeah. it just but we, gotta, we, we gotta remember, we, we, we almost turn it into when it comes down to um, the new, the newer artists. We almost sounded like our parents, and verbatim, verbatim, BPZ said exactly the same <laughs> thing, line by line to everything. And, and, and we're so bugged out now, and I, and I tease my moms about this. Now, my moms, you know. Oh, let me see straight out of Compton. Let me see this. So now when they hear certain records that they was contingent and they were saying that it wasn't hot, now all of a sudden, they like, yeah. well, it's, it's okay. They can tolerate it now. <laughs> Yo, but I, I made, I've kind of made a commitment to try to keep my ears young. So like a lot of stuff that people listen to, 
you know, that they'd be like, nah, yo, that, that the young people shit, this, that. I'd be like, nah, if the shit is bad. That's being a fact. Yeah. I try to open my ear. Yeah. And, well, and he, he gets mad so he get the call me, yo, yo, all you do is listen to these young people. Nah, you got you you gotta like I want my ears to stay young. So like my, my kids be like, yo, you heard this person, you heard that, or this that I go listen yeah, to. It. I'm like, if it's dope, I'm gonna be like, yo, it's it's dope. This shit is fire. If it's trash, I'm gonna be like, it ain't for me. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna tell you. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this, right? And you would be honest. Mm-hmm. How many newer artists that got real Dope shit was replay value. Um, let me see. New artists, not a lot, man. Yeah, but you know what? I don't know if newer artists are making records with the intentions of having replay value because I think the way things are set up now, they know, yo, you know what? You think about it right now. So you said y'all just finished your project, and we like at the top of the year, we gonna put another project out. That's where I think we are musically. Where it's like, yo, you know. You put a project out a month ago by somebody like, yo, when your new shit coming out. Remember, <laughs> people was dropping and yeah, so now everything I think is about, like like the kids say, like a bop. Like, oh, yo, that shit is a vibe. You know, that's going to rock on TikTok or whatever it is. I don't know if they creating music that's sustainable anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and you just you see, like, look at, look, at, look at our contemporaries. You see, like, Nas and Wu-Tang right now touring. And they touring, you know, like, Nas went to, well, when, um, when Nas had the Madison Square Garden, um, shit, he got bigger reception off his old songs than his new yeah, shit. It's true because you know? yo, even when he brought out Head Boy, he, he looked like a dead headlights on the stage, bro. Like he didn't know what to do with himself. He just stared at it like, okay, I'm here. All right. Yeah, it's it's yo, it's it's. And think of all of Al's Nas did, and he could barely perform them on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's to me, it just goes. It really speaks to and it goes back to. Just to you think about like the generations in terms of music, like music is supposed to be timeless, but now music is kind of shifted to being disposable as a result of I think like streaming and stuff like that, and the back to the direct to consumer approach. Like, when your next shit coming out? Peace. Do you do you still dig in the crates? Oh yeah, I do. You do? I do it digitally now though. Right. I don't do I don't do as much vinyl only because I don't want to take up the storage space. Mm-hmm. But. I do have one, I have a mental library of a lot of vinyl stuff that uh, I no longer uh, keep that mm-hmm. I carry in digital format. But right. I also discover like a lot of music in digital format that I pull from. Like I've been pulling from some jazz and alternative records that I've been tapping into. And I'm using them Serato stems like a motherfucker, bro. Yes. <laughs> Breaking them shits down. Yo. Why are you doing? I don't even answer my phone because I'm listening to some shit like yo. Why are you doing? Yo, why are you doing that when you could um you could just sample? I'll be sure night and day. Man, <laughs> put it out as a single. Yeah, like it. You know what's so crazy? You know what's so crazy? Is 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 y'all laughing? But. I don't see nothing wrong with it though. I don't see. Nah. I don't see. I don't. That I really night day was a classic. <laughs> and my whole thing is like, you know, this is the thing that that really killed me with quote unquote the legends. No, I'm not even gonna say the legends. I'm gonna say it's a specific, it's a specific time period of producers. And it's I know, coming from talking to you, nigga. It's from <laughs> no, it's ninety four. <laughs> To like 97 
those producers that got in the game, mm. for some strange reason, they would not do anything from a certain time period. Purists. True. Yeah, the purists. Yeah. The yeah. largest, the Pete Rocks, the Premiers, they're mm-hmm. not changing. Buck Wild, he's not changing. He's not changing. That's yeah. why he's the album sound the way it do. He's not changing. I was and, surprised. And- I was surprised with um on um the 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 Jay Z album. What was it? The supposedly retirement album. What was the Jay Z retirement? What was it? Black album. Black album. The black album with Ninth Wonder did, and that was a fairly new flip. Didn't he do like the R. Kelly yeah, sample? Right, yeah. 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 This is a warning. Like, yep. Yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. But think about, but think about when the Ninth Wonder got into the game. See, mm-hmm. that time period that I'm, that I'm talking about. And that's one like, the sound. He's a student of Premier P. Rock. Mm-hmm. That's why it surprised me. I'm like, Knife Wonder did this? Yeah. The whole programming and everything feel like a primo record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It must have been a situation where Jay-Z went to him and was like, I want you to sample this. this yeah. Thing. He, he definitely, because I watched the interview, he said, Jay gave the idea, told him to use it and then mm-hmm. put it together. Yeah, because yeah. I just I couldn't see when I was like, yo, Knife Wonder, I can't see Knife Wonder sitting down and be like, let me go through the, nah, I ain't gonna go through the crates, I'm just gonna go to this, put that, put that uh, R. Kelly CD in, let me sample that. Um, but it's a good record, though, it's a good record, so. Yeah, I don't, because I don't in the background, the whole concept of what Jay's saying, he's got the, this is a warning in the background, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The, the piano sequence. And then the whole thing, the whole verses is threat. And then he puts Cedric the Entertainer narrating the choruses. It's, it's an incredible record, conceptually. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of that album, FX? I like that album. Yeah, I like the Black album, too. That, 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 that was a dope album. That was a dope album. Yeah. No, I ain't gonna front. I liked, um, probably my initial favorite was Encore, originally. Yeah. Um, But then I Cause think... Because you, you heard it too much. Lucifer. I like I liked a lot too. That's fire, and even Ninety Nine Problems. We really listen to that because I just love Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin's work, man. Like mm-hmm. you look back to that first Beastie Boys album, man. That's oh, that was there was my shit. I was I was in the music store. I don't know if Effects was. You still rock to that today, yo. No, it's no ideas original.